The Lord be with you. And also with you. Bless the Lord who forgives all our sins. God's mercy endures forever. We are guided into ordered worship this Lord's Day by the words and poetry of Isaac Watts, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my greatest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Were the whole realm of nature mine, twere an offering far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. The liturgy, music, and homily are offered here in the praise of God for our gathered congregation within Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet list listenership now and later at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful and material support, your written or emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of leadership, service, and ministry in our midst, and as the Spirit moves, come Sunday, your presence with us here in worship. This is the day the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
May we pray. O God, whose glory it is always to have mercy, be gracious to all who have gone astray from your ways and bring them again with penitent hearts and steadfast faith to embrace and hold fast the unchangeable truth of your word, Jesus Christ, your Son, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. Especially come Lent, we take a moment, we pause for a moment when we have a moment, to look again at our experience of wilderness, of bewilderment, of bewilderment in wilderness, to see whether therein, in fact, there and then, here and now, we may recognize a glimmer of new life, of promise, of freedom in disappointment, of grace in dislocation, of love in departure. As the choir guides us, we pause in the wilderness before bewilderment. Let us pray. Heal us, O Lord, by thy grace. Heal us, O Lord, in thy grace. Heal us, O Lord, through thy grace. Amen. Hear good news. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the book of Genesis, chapter 15, verses 1 through 12 and 17 through 18. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. 
But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no offspring, and so a slave born in my house is to be my heir. But the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. No one but your own issue shall be your heir. He brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and count the stars, if you are able to count them. Then he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. He brought him all these and cut them in two, laying each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. When birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and a deep and terrifying darkness descended upon him. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
A lesson from Paul's epistle to the Philippians, chapter 3, verse 17, through chapter 4, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me, and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. For many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. I have often told you of them, and now I tell you even with tears. Their end is destruction, their God is the belly, and their glory is in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and it is from there that we are expecting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humiliation, that it may be conformed to the body of his glory, by the power that also enables him to make all things subject to himself. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. The word of the Lord. Please join me in saying verses from Psalm 27 with the Antiphon. my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and foes, they shall stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise up against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble, for he will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock. Now my head is lifted above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. Come, my heart says, seek his face. Your face, Lord, do I seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger, you who have been my help. Do not cast me off. Do not forsake me, O God of my salvation. If my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will take me up. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Do not give me up to the will of my adversaries, for false witness have risen against me, and they are breathing out violence. I believe that I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord.
us stand as we are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel. Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke, chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. Glory, Glory to you, O Lord. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, Go and tell that fox for me. Listen, I'm casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day, I must be on my way, because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were, you were not willing. See. Your house is left to you, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Christ.
please be seated. And he said to them, go and tell that fox, behold. Every day, and especially each Lord's Day, Jesus brings us out and meets us at the existential line between death and life. The gospel from St. Luke foreshadows the cross, the triumphant trumpet joy of the letter to the Philippians, including its promise of our commonwealth, our koinonia in heaven, pauses sharply to recall the cross. Psalm 27, perhaps your favorite or one of them, faces squarely the host of enemies encamped against love, a prefigurement of the cross. The genesis of Genesis, which is the genesis of the people of faith, come Abraham, far more than the genesis of the creation prior. Its real genesis is in the promise spoken to Abraham, often all we have to go on anyway, a word of faith in a pastoral voice toward a common hope, which is fear not. In a cruciform world, fear not. Walk by faith right into the dark. Tomorrow in the dark on Marsh Plaza, we will gather under the leadership of our Boston University Muslim Student Society for vigil in faith, vigil in faith, in the teeth of slaughter in New Zealand, and in the lasting shadow of the technology it was meant to utilize and capture worldwide. 7 p.m. We weep with those who weep. We rustle about the cabin for nourishment day by day this Lent, delving for teaching and learning into the poetry of San Juan de la Cruz, Toward the end of his life, St. John of the Cross was assigned to Granada in the south of Spain. He came to love the natural beauty of his new home. Those who have traveled in Andalusia can appreciate how he might have been enthralled so. Though he loved the natural beauty of the region, the Andalusian accent, and to some measure the temperament of the people he met displeased him. He missed the Castilian accent and the Castilian bonami, it may be. John offered his teaching, counsel, and spiritual direction in the open, warm Andalusian air, on long walks in the countryside. Spain does fully offer the willing peregrinator, pilgrim, pedestrian, many and most wonderful trails, scenes, and vistas, its ancient paths and pueblos, carry in their very material the memories of a marvelous ancient civilization. That antiquity can teach us. Jan and I visited once the winter home of Chopin on Mallorca, where he composed etudes in concert with the rhythms of the falling seasonal rains there in the heart of the Mediterranean. Above the house in which Chopin composed and reposed, was an ancient monastery built in the year 1000 and closed near the year 1400. We marveled, partly for the shimmering beauty of the mountain views, but also and more so that the monastery had been closed more than 600 years, more than twice the time my beloved Methodism has even existed. It had more years dead and closed than we have had alive and open. The ancient memories of Spain's paths and pueblos help us gain or regain perspective. 
One such is our 2019 Lenten memory of San Juan de la Cruz. In Granada, later in his life, St. John wrote a great deal, including the composition of his commentaries on his few but famous poems. Soon, though, in connection with ongoing institutional religious disputes, he was transferred again, this time back to Castilla la Vieja, to the city of Segovia. There he endured the ongoing political disputes within the Carmelite order. After the death of St. Teresa of Avila, fights began between the factions of leaders Doria and Gracian. St. John traveled widely to the detriment, we may imagine, of his health in his waning years. His habit was to ride on donkey or horseback, reading from the scripture, and singing from his favorite book of the Bible, perhaps it is yours too, the Song of Songs, the Song of Solomon. One thinks from the corner of the imagination of Cervantes' woeful knight-errant, the one and the great Don Quixote de la Mancha, the religious knight-errant of a bygone era, tilting at windmills and at the locura the craziness of life itself, saying, La razón de la sin razón a mi razón me enflaquece de tal manera. The reason of unreason so weakens my own reason. St. John, engaged in his own travels in the year 1588, the year all bright BU undergraduates will recall as that of the Spanish Armada and its surprising defeat by the English, the dreaded English, along the cliffs of Dover. When St. John died in 1591 in December, his body, or most of it, was interred in Segovia, where there is to this day a notable and sizable shrine. In these years, San Juan de la Cruz was an outspoken critic of clerical power, favoring short leadership terms, favoring elected rather than appointed leaders, favoring outspoken communal discourse and debate rather than smoke-filled rooms, and most especially favoring full recognition of the corruption that comes with power. We can take some notes here, particularly those of us consigned with and to religious leadership. You do not have to go very far into the Q document record of Jesus' teaching found in Matthew and Luke, to come upon his description of religious leaders, those wearing robes and holding degrees, to be clear about it, as whited sepulchers full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. As harsh as that may be to our ears, try to hear it in the context of kosher commands, the context of the uncleanness of burial, the context of early rabbinic Judaism. As my old friend Royce Myers used to say of our general superintendents, though he meant it fully for all ordained and all religious leaders, they hear so often what a great, great job they are doing, they hear so often what great people they are, that after a while, they start to believe it. I try to keep his voice in earshot myself. Roy traveled in mission across Africa as a young man in the 1920s and loved to recite from memory the poem, The Hound of Heaven. At the end of his life, St. John found himself in rugged travel and in contest with religious leadership and religious corruption, 
the corruption that inevitably comes with power. Hence, at the end of his life, he found himself under suspicion of undermining his superiors. An inquisition was begun by the Inquisition, during which time to protect him, John's correspondence in many, if not most, of his writings and poems were burned. A woman, Ana de Peñalosa of Segovia, helped him and later developed the shrine in Segovia to his honor. In 1974 in Segovia, six of us from Ohio Wesleyan studied for a year under the tutelage of Don Felipe de, Don Felipe de Peñalosa, he of ancient Spanish aristocracy and most probably of the same fam family as Ana Peñalosa. On January 6, 1975, a lovely young woman from Cleveland joined our class for the remainder of the year, petite, blonde, and Scandinavia, Scandinavian, and Don Felipe most happily and faithfully married, yet in another, in another sense, at age 85 or so, fell in love again. He just marveled at Rebecca Heskamp of Ohio Wesleyan, now in Segovia, who arrived January 6th, saying, of her, es un don de los reyes. She is a gift of the kings. A little later in the winter, he would introduce her as Rebecca de los vikingos of the Vikings. It is amazing how spoken speech can stay in the memory over long time, is it not? St. John died at midnight, December 14, 1591, saying, Tonight, I will sing matins in heaven. We remember last words. Saint, like those of Stonewall Jackson, let us cross over the river and rest in the shade of the trees. Like those of John Wesley, the best of all is God is with us. Like those of Jesus, I thirst. Father, forgive them. It is finished. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. And, like those of John of the Cross, tonight I will sing matins in heaven. Some few of John's writings and poems escaped the protective burning. We have only 2,500 verses of poetry, few but exquisite they are. His poems rely heavily on a refrain of often repeated words, secret, secret, hidden, hidden, forgotten, forgotten, in disguise, in disguise, silence, silence, emptiness, emptiness, night, night. His poems honor the inner life whose continual impulse, he wrote, is love of God and through God, love of man and creation, or as we would say today, of the human being and of nature. Beginning in 1614 and continuing on through 1627, his remaining poetry and prose and his memory, recalled by colleagues, including his remembered speech, were, were recalled by friends and collected en route to his beatification in 1675. The poems fill only a total of 10 pages. Influences on his poetry were both sacred and secular. This accords beautifully with the lesson from Romans read among us here last Sunday, by the Reverend Dr. Karen Coleman. 
If you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be, you will be saved for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The, sa the same Lord is Lord of all and bestows his riches on all who call upon him, Romans 10. No distinction between Jew and Greek. No distinction between religious and unreligious. No distinction between observant and unobservant. No distinction, as in the poetry of St. John of the Cross, between sacred and secular. As our hymn, which we've just sung, put it, let God be all in all, for God is Lord of all. God sings, don't fence me in. Influ influences on John's poetry then were both sacred and secular. The sacred in particular include the Bible as a whole and the Song of Songs of, or of Solomon especially and in particular. The secular most intriguingly include ordinary Spanish love songs, pastoral romantic poetry, the popular influence of Garcilaso de la Vega who imported the 11 syllable poetic line from the Italian Renaissance, and John's own hearing, his own audition, his own experience of these. Physically cloistered, he was poetically in full a regular citizen. In Garcilaso we read of Renaissance poetry, the refined sense of beauty, the artificiality of the pastoral themes, the diffused and sublimated sens sensations, all were taken from the Italian. As a young man, St. John of the Cross would have read Garcilaso de la Vega. Of most importance was the Song of Songs, an anthology, as you remember, of Hebrew folk songs intended for use at marriage festivals and dating in its present state from the third century before the Common Era. The drama, drama here of human love becomes a form and format for expression of love divine. Marriage itself is just this. After more than 40 years of weddings, approaching a total of 1,000 today, now with most coming to marriage at or over the age of 30, the more usual practical matters in marriage preparation are of less importance than they were a generation ago when marriage occurred in the early 20s. There is less need today for counsel regarding budgeting, regarding sexuality, regarding extended family matters, regarding religious rhythms and observances. But, on the other hand, somewhat older couples coming to marriage today are more prepared to, more ready to understand marriage on earth as it is in heaven, as it were. By the mid-30s, soon-to-be newlyweds are more experientially prepared, that is, than their cousins a generation ago to understand human commitment, covenant, betrothal, intimacy, and love as forms and formats, and especially as foretastes of divine commitment, covenant, betrothal, intimacy, and love. We say this in consideration of and counsel for those among us preparing others or themselves for marriage, an honorable estate, 
instituted of God and signifying unto us the mystical union which exists between Christ and his church, which holy estate Christ adorned and beautified by his presence in Cana of Galilee. Note this, it was a secular love song heard through the walls of the castle prison in Toledo that set John off writing his beautiful, sacred poetry. Yet for all his talent, St. John really could not fully explain his own work to his own satisfaction. It's not only that the poet cannot understand or explain his own experiences, he cannot understand or explain the poems that have come out of those experiences either. In this, as in so many other things, St. John foreshadows the poetry of Antonio Machado. Longing, anguish, lightness, exhilaration, travel, adventure, passion, tenderness, and very few adjectives. These are the themes one finds in the poetry of St. John of the Cross. His genius throughout is the capacity of condensing different elements of thought and feeling into a single phrase or word. It is, here is a new word for it, a kind of antomantopoesia, a word, a phrase. We note that the central image in the poetry in the work of the theology of St. John of the Cross is marriage, as in the Song of Songs, as in a way in the fourth gospel, as in a way in the poetry of William Blake. We note that the abiding attendant issues of church political intrigue, of popular country music ballads, of a confluence of spiritual, sensual love, again of marriage, of the dark night's soul nights, the soul's pain and memory and hope. We note the wise and lasting dialectics therein, to know and not to know, to descend and to ascend, to live and to die, to dwell in light and in darkness. With St. John, we note the power of paradox. One of San Juan's most important contributions to the history of Christian spirituality is to give a necessary and positive value to experiences of inner frustration and paralysis. Like the dark nights themselves, they have to be faced, but rightly understood and used, they become means of growth. They become rays of darkness. They become rays of darkness, and the listener becomes one with the music, and the reader becomes one with the poetry. Here is a pointed personal question. Have you worked to allow the dark nights of your life, the inner frustrations of your life, the times of paralysis in your life, to offer a mode, a condition for growth in faith? Here is the pointed question. Have you worked to allow the dark nights of your life, the inner frustrations of your life, the times of paralysis in your life, to offer a mode, a condition for growth in faith? If so, 
you may have or may well find some unexpected, unusual company in the figure of one who experienced threat, one who wrestled with inner demons, his own and others, one who brought spiritual medicine to bear on spiritual illness, and one who died upon a cross, as the scripture teaches. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, go and tell that fox. Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day, I finish my course. Amen. As we turn our hearts and minds to prayer, I invite you to assume an attitude and posture of prayer according to your tradition, either remaining seated, kneeling, standing, or coming to the communion rail. As we sing our, together our call to prayer, lead me, Lord. We pray today in the words of St. John of the Cross. O God, let your divinity shine on my intellect by giving it divine knowledge, and on my will by imparting to it the divine love, and on my memory with the divine possession of glory. Let us so act that by means of this loving activity, we may attain to the vision of ourselves in your beauty and in eternal life. That is, that I be so transformed in your beauty that we may be alike in beauty and both behold ourselves in your beauty, possessing now your very beauty. This in such a way that each looking at the other may see in the other his own beauty, since both are your beauty alone, I being absorbed in your beauty. Hence, I shall see you in your beauty, 
and you shall see me in your beauty, and I shall see myself in you in your beauty, and you will see yourself in me in your beauty, that I may resemble you in your beauty, and you resemble me in your beauty, and my beauty will be your beauty, and your beauty my beauty. Wherefore I shall be you in your beauty, and you will be me in your beauty, because your very beauty will be my beauty, and therefore we shall behold each other in your beauty. O abyss of delights, you are so much the more abundant, the more your riches are concentrated in the infinite unity and simplicity of your unique being, where one attribute is so known and enjoyed as not to hinder the perfect knowledge and enjoyment of the other. Rather, each grace and virtue within you is a light for each of your other grandeurs. By your purity, O divine wisdom, many things are beheld in you through one. For you are the deposit of the Father's treasures, the splendor of the eternal light, the unspotted mirror and image of his goodness. Awaken and enlighten us, my Lord, that we might know and love the blessings which you ever propose to us, and that we might understand that you have moved to bestow favors on us and have remembered us. O Lord, my God, who will seek you with simple and pure love and not find you as all he desires? For you show yourself first and go out to meet those who desire you. My spirit has become dry because it forgets to feed on you. And as our Savior Christ has taught us, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.
Good morning. We welcome you again to Marsh Chapel on this second Sunday in Lent. Thank you for joining us as a part of our community of worship today, whether you are seated here in the sanctuary, listening on the radio or live stream on the internet, or later via our podcast. For those of you joining us in the sanctuary, we invite you to fill out your name and contact information in the red pads at the end of each pew toward the center aisle. This will help us to get to know you better and you to get to know one another better. Uh, Please join us after the service for our coffee hour downstairs in the Marsh Room for food and fellowship. Spring break is coming to a close this weekend here at Boston University, and we remind our students that all regular weekly activities will resume tomorrow with Monday meditation at 12.15 p.m. and community dinner at 6 p.m. For the season of Lent this year, uh, the weekly ecumenical Eucharist service that's normally at 5.15 p.m. will be replaced with a Lenten dinner church at 5.30 p.m. in Robinson Chapel on the lower level of Marsh Chapel. All are welcome to join us for this participatory act of thanksgiving during which we celebrate the Eucharist with one another, share a simple supper, and hear and discuss the meaning of the scripture together. Lenten Dinner Church begins this Wednesday, March 20th, and will occur each Wednesday uh, through Holy Week, which is April 17th. Um, We want to bring your attention to uh, a service next Sunday afternoon, March 24th at 3 p.m., members of the queer community and their allies are invited to join at the Old West Church at 131 Cambridge Street in Boston for a service of lamentation, resistance, and celebration in response to the actions of the United Methodist Church General Conference of 2019. All persons who are friends of equality and justice within God's church are invited to attend. And then we also remind our congregation that Sunday, March 31st, will be our next Communion Sunday instead of the first Sunday in April. With an announcement from the uh, music department, Dr. Scott Allen Jarrett. Hello, everyone. It's my pleasure to invite you to our concert this weekend, this coming Saturday night at 8 o'clock, March 23rd. You will hear the most virtuosic choral music ever written by Handel for the Marsh Chapel Choir. They'll be rehearsing all week long uh, to present this wonderful concert of Italian Baroque music. Uh, the big piece on the program is Handel's Dixie Dominus. It's truly rock star music for the chorus. Um, Also on the program is featured Guy Fishman, uh, cellist, playing the Vivaldi uh, A minor cello concerto. It's gonna be a great concert, it's free, and there's a postcard for you on your way out. So take one, invite a friend. See you Saturday. Thank you, Scott. For all other news and upcoming events, please visit our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as the chapel website at bu.edu chapel, where there is also the opportunity for online giving. Now, as the ushers wait upon us for our offering, may we remember that it is a gift and a discipline to be a giver.
Gracious God, we thank you for all you have given us. May this offering transform lives. May this offering transform the world. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Christ be with me, Christ within me, Christ behind me, Christ before me, Christ beside me, Christ to win me, Christ to comfort and restore me. Amen. 